a special message from someone special, guess what, it's just me. <laughs> Sorry. So here's a secret. When you see the tall microphone up here, I'm probably not teaching, so <laughs> we have the short microphone for when I'm teaching. Pastor Tosh is going to be sharing the word with us today, but I absolutely wanted to just take a moment um, before we started um, just to share what's happened the last few weeks and, and not certainly having anything to do with me, but simply because I think that the Lord deserves all the honor and the praise and the glory. I can't tell you how good it is to see you. You are truly a sight for sore eyes. And most of you know, I was uh, released from the hospital two Sundays ago after spending a whole week there in what they call the critical care unit, which I think is just a step below the ICU. Um, I had acute COVID pneumonia. And they tell me, apparently, that my oxygen levels were in the 40s when I finally went into the emergency room that Saturday before. Uh, and the doctors, this makes a little more sense why the doctors were looking at me like I was dying, because apparently I, I probably was. And I had felt like that for days. Um, they were able, I think, to keep me off of a ventilator. They put me on a, a BiPAP at night and they pumped 100% oxygen through that thing and then during the day I was on this continuous high flow 100% oxygen uh, and during those first few days the doctor was using language when he would call and talk to Michelle uh, language like well if he survives then such and so and so so I spent uh, a couple full nights um, just praying for each breath that I took and the kind of nights where I laid there kind of wondering whether or not Michelle knew that we did have a little life insurance policy and, you know, wondering who it would be that would walk my daughters down the aisle and also wondering who was going to make the deposit that was still sitting in my bag from the previous Sunday. So, you know, and it, it's really, it's, it's in those moments when we know that Jesus has the eternal stuff well in hand and yet it's that temporal stuff, isn't it, that just, um, that, that just comes and, and weighs and looms really large during those dark hours of the night. And um, all of this, of course, you probably heard most of the rest of my family all tested positive and underwent their own sort of quarantine period at home. Thankfully, they were asymptomatic for the most part. Michelle, who was much better prepared for COVID than I am physically. She, uh, her symptoms were very mild and we're so thankful for that. The doctors put me on a full five-day course of remdesivir and some other steroids, um, but the tide really began to turn almost instantaneously um, later during the day on Sunday. And it came, I know, as the mounting prayers of God's people, um, began to just be, be made to heaven and because there's really no medical explanation why I should have turned and started to get better as quickly as I did. Not only your prayers, but as the prayer requests went out to all of our Northern California Calvary Chapel family of churches and people there and even beyond began to pray. God's people were praying and God was responding. And um, by Tuesday, I think it was, I was sitting up in a chair, and despite every precondition and COVID comorbidity that I could possibly have, I mean, 
from obesity to hypertension to sleep apnea to probably pre-diabetes. But for some reason, my body was responding and my oxygen levels were holding now up in the, 90, in the 90s, even as they started to decrease that 100% oxygen support. Really, there was no reason, no explainable reason why the guy in room 2105 should have been doing as well as he was. To the point where nurses and doctors who weren't even on my case, they were looking into my isolation room every time they walked by. I felt like the boy in the plastic bubble, if you're old enough to remember that movie. But, uh, so the doctor had been talking to Michelle about me probably being in the hospital for weeks, but as the one week came to a close, she finally was able to negotiate my release for, for Father's Day. And it was sort of negotiations based on the condition that the doctor prescribed a full oxygen setup complete with a machine and tanks that he said I would need at home for months. And so that was all delivered last, you know, two Saturdays ago before I came home. By the time I was released though, they had somehow miraculously moved me that morning just onto room air and I never needed any of the oxygen supplies at all when I got home. So I am so thankful to be home. I can, t amen, right? Uh, you know, I can tell having been home now for oh, two weeks or one week, two, whatever it's been. I can tell that this, this recovery is gonna take some time. And you know, I feel great, but I'm still a little weak and wobbly and I get tired super easily, just coming up those stairs, just about took it out of me. Um, mostly I can tell that my mental acuity just isn't there. I'm sort of in a fog. And maybe I'm just sort of realizing what you all have known all this time, right? <laughs> that just comes with the territory. Um, I had to tell Michelle to please stop Googling, you know, long-term effects of oxygen levels in the 40s. And we're just gonna leave that peace to the Lord and just count on him to restore that. So um, what I wanted to say really is that the Lord has been so faithful, right? The way that he has sustained our church through this. I have been so blessed and so ministered to these last Sundays. I literally watch the stream sobbing like a baby. And really it's because of what I've seen the Lord do here in everyone as people have stepped up and stepped in and really as the anointing of the Lord has been so incredibly powerful and evident on the men who've been leading, the women who've been leading, the, those who've been sharing the word and ministering. And I know that the Lord is doing a deep work here and he's doing the kind of deep work that he can only do in crisis. And I know that he's doing it in me personally and I see him doing it also here in our church collectively. And I think as I wrote to you that very first day, I know that we're going to be stronger because of it as a church. And I know that I'm going to be a better pastor to you all because of it. And, you, you know, I think I've said before that in God's economy, there's never anything that's wasted. And it's never more true than in these kinds of experiences as God uses them to communicate important things to us when he finally has our attention. And let me tell you, he had my attention. 
I want him to continue to have my attention. I've been reminded through this of things, not necessarily that I had forgotten, but things maybe that had kind of faded into the background of what I knew, reminded of the importance of a living and a really active faith in a living and an active savior who is alive and who is near and who hears our prayers and who we can trust. And we can trust not just with those eternal things, but we can trust him with all of these temporal things, all of the daily details of life. You know, reminded of the fact that the Lord does hold each of us. He holds each and every day of our lives in his hands and that he continues to work out his own plans through us and for us and that we simply need to continue to be faithful and available until he's finished with us. And on a personal note, thankfully, it appears that he wasn't quite finished with me quite yet. So I know that he still has work for me to do. I know that he still has work for us to do as a church. I think, though, the thing that more than anything else that he really reminded me of and drove home during this time is just that unique and beautiful way that we are all connected as his body. And it's that connection really that transcends even the wonderful times that we spend together here on Sunday mornings as we're studying his word and as we're worshiping together. But it's that connection that reaches so deeply into those deep, deep valleys that we all go through in our lives. It's that connection that reaches deeply into those times when there are no words, but there's simply the love and the prayers of God's people for one another. You know, that, that unspoken bond that we share as believers because we're all united together by this faith as we try to navigate this really hostile world, right? That's It's foreign to us. Jesus said that people would know that we love him, how? By the love that we have for one another. And you guys have certainly demonstrated that. And my prayer for us as a body is that during this coming season that we would really press into that and grow in that area, to grow in our interconnectedness, if that's even a word, right, with one another, and to grow in our investment into one another's lives, to grow in the transparency that we have with one another, in our prayerfulness for one another. And it's not because you haven't done these things, it's precisely because you have. And it's precisely because I want to know that everyone here within our Calvary Chapel Mountain View Church body would experience that very same really overwhelming outpouring of love and of support and of prayer and of concern and of faith during the times of their difficulty that, that my family and I were so blessed to receive during ours. Um, with this, I need to let you know I'm not going to be here next week, which is not a reason to not come. It's a reason actually more to come. But um, when I was in the hospital last Saturday night and I was afraid I was about to meet Jesus, my best friend Joe, who some of you know, uh, he had been fighting cancer for the past three years. He was also rushed to the hospital up in Idaho and he did meet Jesus that same Saturday night. And he did, you know, he lost his battle here with cancer and yet he entered into the joy 
of the Lord. And he, along with our wives, have been serving together in pastoral ministry over the past 25 years together. They are Uncle Joe and Auntie Becky to our kids. And Michelle and I know that our place next weekend is by her side trying to comfort her as she navigates this loss. So we're going to be with them in Sandpoint, Idaho. And again, if the Lord has reminded me of anything during this time, it's that he's the one that's sustaining this body. And he's the one who's doing this work. And I need to trust him in that. Um, I will be gone and you guys won't miss a beat. So for this morning, uh, along those same lines, um, we will jump back into our study in Revelation in a couple weeks. Uh, but for this morning, I'm so blessed. Pastor Tosh Woods is here to share with us. Most all of you know Pastor Tosh. For those of you who don't, he has served faithfully at this church for 18 or 30 or 50 years or as an associate pastor long before Long before I got here, he's a great expositor of the word. He loves God's people. He loves the Lord. And uh, we're super blessed to have him share with us today. So God bless you guys. I love you more than you could possibly know. And I just, uh, let me pray if I can for us and for our church and for Pastor Tosh uh, as he comes up. So Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for um, this family of believers, Lord, for those who are here and for those who are part of our uh, our extended church family who live in faraway places and watch via the stream, Lord, we thank you for those who are part of our local church family, Lord, who are still uh, joining us via live stream, Lord. So thankful for all of these precious saints, Lord, who call this church their home. And Father, we do want to thank you that during times of intense difficulty, Lord, that the body rises up and rallies around and, and um, and just make sure your great love known, Lord. And we do ask that we can press into that during this coming season. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Tosh, his willingness to come here this morning and to minister to us. And uh, we just pray that you would bless your word, Lord, as it goes out. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. And uh, hey, we're doing communion at the end. Do you want to do that? Awesome. Love you too. And uh, thanks for taking 20 minutes off my message. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. How is everybody? So good to be here. So good to see you guys. Love you. Miss you. Some new faces here and, and uh, love you as well. So good to be here. Just during worship, I was just reminded of um, how much I love this body. And I'll always consider this my home church, really, Calvary Mountain View. So thanks for having me. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there. All right, Philippians chapter 2. You guys there? Starting in verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes... If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, 
let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Lord, we do thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and uh, bringing Bill home, Pastor Bill. We're so grateful and thankful for him and the Bjorkmans. And again, we lift up our time, Lord. We just pray that you would speak. We know you're going to speak. We pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open to your spirit this morning as we teach through the word. And uh, we desire to hear from you, Jesus. And so uh, bless the teaching of your word again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, there's a Peanuts cartoon. I know you guys are familiar with the Peanuts. And uh, Snoopy is the best, by the way. Joe Cool. But in this Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channel. So she walks into the room. If you imagine the cartoon strip there, Lucy walks in and demands that Linus change the TV channel, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. And she said, what makes you think, or Linus says, what, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? And Lucy says, these five fingers, these five fingers. Individually, she said, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. And Linus responded, which channel do you want to watch? <laughs> and then he turned to his own fingers and said, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> Funny story, but isn't that the truth? Individually, we have a little strength. Individually, we have a little strength in the Lord. Yet together, as a body, a unified in Christ Jesus, we have much strength. We have much to um, really bring to the world. We have much to offer our own body. And we have much to bring uh, as it relates to expanding the kingdom of God. Unity. Unity. And that's what I want to look at with you guys this morning. It's believed, as you know, that the Apostle Paul was imprisoned in Rome when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. And while Paul was there in that cell chained to a Roman guard. He was dealing with external difficulties, but the Philippians were dealing with some internal difficulties, and uh, that would be unity, namely, and lack thereof. And so here in chapter two, Paul exhorts his readers, the Philippians, and you and I, he exhorts us and shares with them the real key to unity in the body of Christ. And so if you're a note taker this morning, we're just, we're going to look at unity in the body and just want to give you two points. Going to leave you with two points this morning. Uh, unity is a blessing to the body. And secondly, unity is a witness to the world. It's a witness to the world. 
So if you're awake and uh, you got your notes out and your Bible out, let's take a look at these two points. Unity is a blessing to the body. Verses one and two again, Paul says, therefore, if there is any consolation or encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, the four ifs here in verse one are rhetorical. This is a rhetorical statement. They speak of certainties, and since is the idea. Since we have encouragement in Christ, since we find comfort in his love, since we have fellowship in the spirit, since we've experienced his affection and mercy. Would you all say amen to that? We've experienced these things in Christ. In other words, since you share these truths in Christ, Paul here is saying, then fulfill my joy. Add to my joy. Be a blessing to me. How? By being like-minded. By being unified. Having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. By being unified. And guys, this is the Father's heart for all of his kids, isn't it? Unity is the Father's heart for all of his children. Psalm 133, verse 1, you know this. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold, unity is a pleasant thing to the Lord and to his people. I love what John Corson says about this verse. He says, there's not too many things that are both good and pleasant. Changing diapers is good but it's not pleasant, right? Eating a whole batch of fresh brownies, fresh out of the oven, or in my case, a uh, bar of dark chocolate with almonds from Trader Joe's, eating that whole bar, it's pleasant, but it's not good. <laughs> You're gonna be feeling it later. It's pleasant, but not good. There's not too many things that are both good and pleasant, but unity, unity is a sight to behold, the psalmist says, because it's both good and pleasant when the brethren dwell together in unity. And uh, Ephesians 4, again, there is one body and one spirit, Paul says, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We're unified in Christ through the blood of Christ. Now, this is important to note, guys. Unity, of course, does not require that we see eye to eye on everything. Uh, there's many different flavors in the body of Christ, as you know. And uh, Calvary Chapel is, is just one flavor out of the 31 that are out there in the body. And, the, you know, there's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of styles and methodologies and uh, perspectives in the body of Christ. I'll, I'll never forget we took... Uh, the youth group up to the uh, Tenderloin in San Francisco, pretty uh, gritty area of the city, a lot of uh, hurting people. We took the youth group up there from Calvary Chapel Aptos for the week, and we stayed there in the mission, the rescue mission, downtown San Francisco. And at the end of the week, they asked all the leaders to come up and pray for each other. I'll never forget this because you had a lot of different uh, church churches there and backgrounds and denominations and this brother laid hands on me and uh, he laid hands on me literally and he prayed that the fire of God would come down upon 
brother Tosh. And I laid my hand on his shoulder and I said, Lord, just give my brother a heart for your word and a heart for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Just two polar opposites. Uh, and, and it was great. And that's what we have in the body of Christ. You guys aren't laughing. That was kind of a joke. But, uh, you know, you just, you have those flavors in the body, don't you? Just um, from very charismatic to very conservative and everything in between. And uh, that's what makes the body of Christ so, so cool. One of the things that makes the body so cool and so unique is the different varieties and flavors and different perspectives that we have in the body. But sadly, many Christians are majoring on the minors. Sadly, uh, we're divided over the non-essentials, over the non-essentials. And um, we're not to compromise truth for the sake of unity. Very important to note that. Uh, but, however, we're, if we're in agreement on the essentials of the faith, if we've been born again into God's family, we are all members. We need to remember, we are all members of one body one body. It's not just about us over here in this area or us that do things this way and, and, and prefer a, a particular flavor in the body. We're one body, locally and corporately, universally, the body of Christ. And like any earthly parent, our Father in heaven, guys, is pleased, blessed when his people, when his kids are unified through his son, Jesus Christ. And, uh, so unity, guys, number one, is a blessing. It's a blessing. And I know that you here at Mountain View, you're blessed by the unity that exists in this body. You're blessed by one another, the love that you have for one another, care and the concern, genuine care, agape love that we have for one another. And uh, I know you're personally blessed. The father is blessed when his kids are unified. Secondly, unity is a witness. It's a witness to the world. It's a witness to the world. John 17, if you remember, the Lord's last prayer on earth before he was led to Calvary and to the cross, Jesus prayed that, that we, that his disciples, not just the 12, but that you and I, all those who would come to know him and believe in him and trust in him through the disciples would be one that you and I, his people, would be one as he and the Father are one. And listen to this in verse 22, John chapter 17, verse 22. Jesus prayed that you and I would be one so that, so that the world may believe that the Father has sent the Son. So that the world may believe that the Father has sent the Son. This is huge, guys. When God's people are unified, when we're like-minded, when we are having the same love of one heart, one mind, it's a witness to the world. It's a witness to the world. Christian unity is essentially saying to the world that Jesus is real, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the one and only Son of God sent by the Father. Now, in contrast, when we are in disunity and bickering and uh, divided over the non-essentials, the world looks at you and I, the world looks at the church and says, see, Jesus is not real. You guys can't even get it together. So how, how, am I, how, how, how can we expect the world to believe there's any power in the name of Jesus, that there's any power in the body of Christ, that there's any true, lasting, agape love in the body of Christ when you and I, 
when the body can't even get it together. The world looks at that and just says, yeah, see, Jesus isn't real. There's got to be another way. There's got to be another option out there. And so there's a lot more at stake, guys, than just getting along with each other, right? There's just a lot more at stake here. The world is watching. They're watching to see if you and I, if this local body, if the body of Christ is the real deal. Unity is a witness to the world. And if we're going to shine for Jesus in this dark world, and how many of you this morning know that our world is very dark? And I don't know if you can say that it's getting darker because it's always been dark, but the corruption and the lust, 1 John 2, and uh, everything that's made up of uh, it, it, that it's in the world, it, it's increasing in its darkness and its evil and sinfulness. And uh, the world's watching. And um, if we're going to shine, we need to be unified. And uh, if the world's going to take us seriously, if our culture is going to take us seriously, which they are not presently, uh, we need to be unified. So it's a blessing to the body, and it's a witness to the world. And the question I have, and, and that I want to answer for the remainder of our time, is that, well, if that's the case, if unity is a blessing both to the body, to the Father, and a witness to the world, then how do we as a church, with all these different flavors and opinions and perspectives, how can we remain unified? How do we do that? How do we remain unified as a body? And Paul gives us the answer. I'm glad you asked. Paul gives us the answer here in this chapter, Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Paul goes on, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I was at the ATM yesterday. I was right next to the gym. And this guy bolts out of the gym. He's all sweaty, pretty yoked out. He's, got his, he's walking to his car and he's taking a selfie. And it's a video selfie. I don't know what you call that. A video -y. And he is walking to the car and he says, before you can take care of yourself, or sorry, before you can uh, take care of others, you got to take care of yourself. Booyah! And it was like, <laughs> it was like his little exercise blog, daily blog. And uh, there's some truth to that, of course. If you're bedridden, you're not going to be able to take care of people. If you're not taking care of yourself, if you're eating hot Cheetos and drinking Red Bull all day, you're probably not going to have much effect on other people's lives. But the reality is that that's the philosophy of our world, isn't it? It's all self-centered. It's about me. And we live in this, uh, well, we live in these bodies that are fallen and uh, self-seeking. But we live in this selfie culture that's just promoting self, constantly promoting and loving, teaching us to love ourselves and put ourselves first. And the Bible, God's word, clearly tells us that we're to be others-centered, not self-centered to esteem others better than ourselves, to look out for the interests of others. Unity, guys, is achieved by putting others first. That's the key. Putting others first takes an attitude of humility. Notice Paul says, lowliness of mind. That's an attitude of humility. Humility starts in the mind. Listen, humility starts in the mind, not in the gut. 
it's not just a feeling that I'm going to bless and serve and love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a decision. And if you're waiting for the feeling, you may not ever express that love. You may not ever put others first. It starts in the mind, not in the gut. Humility is a choice. It's not a feeling. And when we make the choice to put others first, we're, our feelings will follow. Have you noticed that? When you choose to do the right thing, the blessings follow, the feelings follow. And uh, you'll, you'll begin to develop a genuine love and concern for others. You may not initially feel it, but when you serve them and put them other, uh, first, others first, then the feelings follow. You, you begin to develop, and this is just the work of the Holy Spirit, you begin to develop a genuine love and concern for others. And so the key to unity, guys, is humility. That's the key, love and humility. And Paul expounds on this by giving us the ultimate example of humility. What does humility truly look like? What does it look like to love one another, to lay down our lives, put the needs of others first? And this is what it looks like, verses five through eight. Let this mind be in you, this attitude of humility. Let this be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So <laughs> this is kind of a weird translation. It's kind of weird to, to um, understand what Paul is saying here, but basically he's saying that Jesus is God, has always been God, will always be God. He is the eternal one. Jesus is God, but did not cling to his right as God when he became a man. That's what Paul is saying. And he goes on, verse 7, but he, Jesus, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, literally a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So this, this truth here, guys, this um, principle that Paul's laying down is referred to as the doctrine of kenosis. <laughs> and you're saying, well, what is that? Well, that's just a fancy way of saying that Christ emptied himself. He emptied himself of what? Well, not of his divine nature. He was always God. He is always God. He is God. But he emptied himself of his heavenly glory and power when he became a man. He did not empty himself of his uh, divine nature, but of his glory and power when he became a man. In other words, guys, everything that Christ did on earth, all that we read about in, in the gospels of Jesus, his ministry, his works, his prayer life, all of it he did by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he laid down his power and glory when he became a man. Not his divine nature, but that power and glory, his rights as God, fully God and fully man, yet in the ultimate act of humiliation or humility, uh, he laid, which can be humiliating at times, <laughs> but in the ultimate act of humility, he laid down his rights as God and became a man. Not only did he become a man, he became the servant of all. He became a slave, took on the role of a slave. Think about that. That is awesome. The, the creator of the universe became a man and took on the role. He didn't show up as a, a 
robed in white with a golden crown and, and, and come to the people and just say, hey, serve me, bow down, I'm your creator. No, he came and bowed down and served his creation. Amazing. That's the doctrine of kenosis, that Jesus laid down his rights, became a man, and humbled himself to the point of a servant, and even unto death and the death of a cross, very humiliating death. And so we see this throughout the Gospels, though, don't we? We see this attitude of humility in Christ Jesus. You can't miss it when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the beginning of Acts, this attitude of humility in, found in Christ Jesus. There's no greater picture, I believe, than in John 13. And you guys are familiar with the story. There in the upper room, Jesus, uh, after dinner, rose from the table. He girded himself <clears throat> with a garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, basically an apron. And uh, he poured water into a basin. And he stooped down and he began to wash his disciples' feet. All 12 of them. How many, I don't know how many toes that is, but that's a lot of toes. All 12 disciples, including Judas, the one who would betray him. Jesus stooped down and he began to wash their feet. And you might say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Isn't that, wasn't like that a normal uh, uh, tradition in the ancient Middle East? Well, washing feet was, yeah. That was a normal tradition in that culture. You would come into a home and there would be a basin by the front door that you could wash your own feet. And if you really had it going on, you might have a servant that would wash your feet. But it wasn't just any servant that would wash your guest's feet. It was the lowest of servants. It was a slave. And so Jesus here, uh, and, and again, in John chapter 3, um, 13, excuse me, in verse 3, John reminds us, you can check that out later, he reminds us of who it was performing the task of a slave. He reminds us that, again, this was God in the flesh who left his glory in heaven to come and serve his own creation. Amazing. Even washing the feet of the one who would betray him. And you might say again this morning, well, that's Jesus. <laughs> of course, that's Jesus. He came to serve. He's a servant, right? And we're to let this mind be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. He's our example, guys. He's the ultimate example. We can't look at him and say, well, well that's Jesus. And uh, I'll, I'll just write a card. <laughs> I'll, I'll just write a card, let, let people know I'm thinking of them. No, it, it goes beyond that. The servanthood that we're called to that involves humility, it goes way beyond that. Humility starts in the mind, it's an attitude, it's a decision, it's a choice to lay down your rights and put the rights of others before yours. And uh, again, we're to be others-centered. So the key to unity is humility. Are you with me? That's not an easy thing to do, is it? That is not an easy thing to do, to die to yourself. I remember when I was young, and uh, this was before Jesus, so don't judge me. But I remember having friends over at my house, and uh, they were over for maybe sleepover. Guys didn't call it a sleepover, but hey, you want to spend the night? Yeah, cool. Well, after dinner, I look in the freezer. There'd be a little ice cream in there, but there was enough for one bowl. And I'd say, hey, do you want some ice cream? And in my heart, I'm thinking, please say no. Please say no, because I want that bowl of ice cream, right? But <laughs> this genuine 
love that Christ has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can genuinely and sincerely say, hey, can I serve you a bowl of ice cream? Can I serve you, bro? And, and I, sure, I'd be stoked on a bite of that too, but I'm, I'm actually giving this to you in order for you to be blessed. And obviously it goes way beyond ice cream. That's just a dumb illustration, but really laying down our lives and serving the needs of others. And uh, that's what we're called to do, guys. That's the example that our Lord and Savior has given us. This is not a concept. It's not a theory. This is reality. This is what we're called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's to serve one another. And the key to unity is that humility and loving one another, putting each other first. And Paul goes on, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among, listen, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The context here, guys, is unity. Paul here is saying, hey, guys, get it together. <laughs> be, be of one accord. Put one another first. Um, be of the same mind, the same love. Be of one accord. And uh, make sure that there is unity in your body because you're not only going to be blessed the father will be blessed it's a witness to the world and uh you know if you haven't noticed the world is falling to pieces have you noticed that if you haven't noticed in the last 12 months the world is going down <laughs> the world is so confused it's so confused and uh sadly much of the body of christ is busy not loving the world not sharing the truth but we're busy bickering and we're divided over politics social justice the list goes on we're bickering over these things it it's important sure we all have opinions and these issues are important but we're to keep the main thing the main thing and we're to be to be about the kingdom of god and the kingdom that's coming and uh, too many christians guys sad to say are caught up in uh, blogging their opinions and uh, calling out other believers who don't share their personal convictions as if they don't have anything better to do. I have something better for us to do. It's to love people. It's to love one another. It's to love the lost. It's to be a witness to the world. And unity, guys, is a witness to the world. Remember that. Unity is so much more than just getting along. It's shining the light into a dark world we're living in perilous times guys second timothy chapter four let's not lose sight of the big picture god's at work and he desires to do a work in and through his body god could easily send angels and he will actually there's a time coming it's called the tribulation where angels will fly across the heavens saying do not take the mark of the beast declaring the glory of god pronouncing the gospel god could have done that from the beginning Yet he's called you and I to declare that same message, to be a herald. And uh, let's endeavor, Ephesians 4, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make an effort to be unified. The world's watching. The world is watching. And they want to know if Jesus is real. 
And one way that we can do that and show that is by our love for one another. As Bill shared earlier, by this, Jesus said, the world will know that you're my followers, by your love one for another. And so let's be unified. Amen? Let's be unified that we might be a blessing to the body and a witness to the world. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity this morning to just gather together and be unified and love one another and uh, hear from you. Be exhorted, corrected, challenged, encouraged. All that we need, Lord, we uh, just tell you, thank you, Lord, that your word is sufficient, your spirit is sufficient. And now, Lord, the ball's in our court just to say yes to you, yes to your word. Die to ourselves. Put one another first. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, that all we need to do is get out of the way and you'll give us that supernatural ability and love to put others first. And so we ask for your help to do that. And we ask for your blessing over the rest of our day and our time together as we fellowship and break bread. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're back. I'm back. <laughs> <Pull it right laughs> down. Thanks, Tosh. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Tosh. What a great word today. And, uh, you know, of course, today, not only is it 4th of July and not only do we get to hear from Pastor Tosh, but it's the first Sunday of the month. So it's the Sunday that we typically celebrate communion. And what a better day to celebrate it than today. Just uh, there's so many things that communion represents to us. The unity that we share, of course, with the Lord Jesus himself through his death, burial and resurrection. But there's also a picture of the unity that we share with one another. And so as we observe and celebrate communion this morning, um, certainly I want you to be focused on all of those things. Uh, but in particular, just um, again, for me, from my heart today, just so thankful for that unity that we share, that interconnectedness that we share with, uh, with one another, uh, and just the ways that God would push us forward in that uh, in this coming season. So if you are visiting with us today, uh, we, you know, communion is open to you. The only requirement to take communion here with us today is that you're a born-again believer. But we're not looking for your membership card or your papers or letters from anywhere proving that you, uh, if you're a born-again believer, please enjoy communion with us. And if you're not a born-again believer, we can take care of that also before, uh, before communion. So if you need prayer uh, to receive the Lord today, we would love to know that. And if you would simply raise your hand after I'm done praying, um, people will flock to you and help you know how you can get started uh, in a relationship with Jesus. So let's pray and we're going to celebrate communion together and then we'll close out our service and enjoy some fellowship. So Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the way that your spirit has so unified um, the message this morning, Lord, we do thank you for Tosh and just for uh, just that great exhortation, Lord, from your word this morning. And we pray as we go to this time of communion, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, um, just make those truths ever so alive in our hearts this morning, that wonderful unity that we share together with your son, Jesus, Lord, and as a result, that unity, again, that we enjoy with one another. So we pray that you'd speak those things to our heart as we take this time and observe communion together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.